when I started working with leaders, it was kind of interesting because um, my coach, and I believe everybody needs a coach. I have several different types of coaches, a marketing coach and a technology coach and a speaking coach. And one of the first masterminds I was in, um, <laughs> it was interesting because all of a sudden my table was all these billionaires and me a former school teacher. And I looked at everybody, I'm like, well, why would you come to, to me? And they looked, they all said the same thing. They're like, well, Danny, you give 10 ideas and nine of them are crazy, but one of them is worth a billion dollars. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 82. This episode is sponsored by the Impactful Business Leadership Mastermind. The mastermind brings together hungry entrepreneurs and business owners who want to scale their business, get their toughest problems solved, learn best practices, and build their networks. Learn more at impactfulcoaching.com forward slash BLM. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Danny Brussel. Danny is a highly sought-after speaker, trainer, and coach known as the Jim Carrey with a PhD. Danny has spoken to over 3,500 audiences worldwide and authored 16 books, including his latest, Leadership Begins with Motivation. He is the co-founder of TheReadingHabit.com, the world's top reading engagement program. Danny, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Naftali, and thanks for all that you do. I really love your podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I'm sure this is going to be an awesome episode. So I, I got to tell you, um, you know, it's rare that I have educators on this podcast, not because I have any bias against them. I love educators. Everybody knows that I'm a former educator myself, school leader. That's been actually my background. When I, when I write about leadership, becoming the new boss, it's my own journey in a way through the process of school leadership to understand how new leaders can really hit the ground running and be successful. Of course, it's relevant to all fields as we know. But at the same time, this is not an educator's podcast. And yet you have somehow bridged together background as an educator, a passion for reading, it seems, which we have to dive into, as well as leadership. So give us the backstory. Tell us a bit about yourself, how you got started, and how you brought yourself to this place where you are today. Wow, we got to cover a lot of ground, and I'm I'm notorious for giving long answers to short questions, Natalia. <laughs> anyway, I, to a long question, you can yes, answer. Yes, yes. Well, I uh, I was uh, I had a great job in Washington D.C. working for a, an organization where I was in contact with every major newspaper editor in America, and I was offered all these jobs at different major daily newspapers. And I remember I was offered one major metropolitan newspaper offered me the city beat for $16,500 a year. And then somebody told me, hey, they need teachers in South Central Los Angeles and Compton for $25,200 a year. So I always tell people in Oftali, I became an educator for the noblest of reasons, for the high pay. <laughs> that extra six grand, huh? Exactly. <laughs> Which once you're in LA, cuts it in half anyway. But Yeah, and it was great. I, I actually, uh, I loved it. Uh, and it, 
you know, uh, I've, I always tell people I've taught all age levels. Uh, I started off in uh, high school and then they put me in middle school, upper elementary, lower elementary to pretty soon. Instead of preparing students for college, I was coming home with snot marks all over my pants from little ones hugging me all day. And what I learned, Naftali, and this is really what I try to share when I'm speaking to uh, executives or any kind of leadership council is, uh, you know, what works with a 12th grader does not necessarily work with a kindergartner, but what works with a kindergartner works with all age levels. Interesting. <laughs> and it, it's, it's really amazing. And I know you have this experience too with leaders, uh, especially um, there's a couple of things and it's one of the things that resonated to me about your book uh, because you, you understand that the good leaders, what they really do first is they shut up and listen. They try and figure out who they're dealing with. And then it's all about relationships. Um, one of my favorite stories I share with people is uh, Winston Churchill's mother, Jenny, was a contemporary of Queen Victoria. And she was on she knew every famous person. And so a reporter asked her once about the difference between Prime Minister Gladstone and Prime Minister Disraeli. And her response was phenomenal. She said, well, Whenever I left a meeting with Prime Minister Gladstone, I left feeling like, wow, I am the most interest. He is the most interesting person I have ever met. But whenever I left a meeting with Prime Minister Disraeli, I left feeling like, wow, I am the most interesting person he has ever met. And so to me, really one of the secrets that I've learned in the last 25 years as an educator and a speaker and a coach is that uh, what are we doing to make the people around us feel important? And I think today, especially with the pandemic, now more than ever, you know, people need that shot in the arm. They need to be reinvigorated and reminded of why they're important in society. Yeah, it's great. You know, it reminds me of the uh, story that Dale Carnegie references and how to win friends and influence people about the botanist. Mm. That's familiar, but he talks about uh, how he was having this conversation and I'm sure the content of the conversation was totally not familiar to him. But at the end of the conversation, which the botanist spoke pretty much the entire time, that individual then turns to a third party about and tells that person about Dale saying in effect that Dale was the most interesting conversationalist he'd ever engaged uh, previously. So being a listener, being interested in somebody else. I think these are universal principles. But I am curious to know, Danny, how did you transition into working with leaders? Because I think if you ask most educators, so, you know, they're focused on their classrooms. They're focused on what works for them, their needs, and all of that. And we create, a, to a degree, maybe even to a default, a certain degree of tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. Right? My lessons, my students, my work, oftentimes we close the door. I remember reading in grad school, that education is one of the loneliest professions out there. I argue that school leadership is even lonelier than classroom work, but that's a different conversation. So how did you manage to think differently, not only about what you're doing in the classroom, but how did that sort of bring you to a place where you're engaging audiences, not just about reading, which we have to talk about as well, of course, but about leadership in particular? That's a very thoughtful question, Naftali. It was actually kind of out of economic necessity. So uh, after I had left the classroom and was uh, a professor at the university, one of the things I had done is I had created my own nonprofit where I created, at first I created school libraries and under-resourced areas, and then I decided that wasn't working enough. We needed to create classroom libraries. And working as a nonprofit, I was able to uh, meet a lot of uh, civic leaders in Los Angeles, uh, celebrities, you know, people with uh, with resources, and um, 
based on some bad real estate decisions that I made out of economic necessity, I had to make some extra money. And a person had encouraged me to start speaking. And um, <laughs> my accountant said, well, if you want to if you want to avoid bankruptcy, Danny, you have to hit this amount of money. And and so I worked hard and I hit exactly the number he set. And then the next year he, he gave me a much higher number. And I hit that number on the number. And so the third year, I thought, well, maybe I should set a higher number. And then basically during one of the largest economic downturns in American history, I actually built up a speaking and consulting business where I was, you know, I, I, I still speak with uh, a lot of education audiences, but I, I've expanded to uh, sports teams and uh, government agencies and really a lot of uh, businesses that are trying to figure out exactly the, the principles we're talking about is how do we build teams that that, uh, that all move in the same direction. So it was actually, uh, and I know you've had this experience also having been a former school administrator, you know, working with executives really just because they're in suits doesn't mean they're any different than working with uh, kindergartners. <laughs> that is true. Well, the human psyche works pretty much the same. And I'm not sure, sure that whenever we grow up, we fully grow up. You know, we still like toys. We still like the things that uh, make us feel good about ourselves. And that's important. But I do want to talk about, since you mentioned the library, and clearly you have a passion for reading, and you do a lot of work um, to draw attention to the importance of reading. So number one, I'd like to hear about it from a purely, let's call it educational or self-development standpoint, what you see as the primary value in reading. And I'm going to ask you then maybe to sort of shift it a little bit, because I know I run mastermind groups, I, I coach people, I know how hard it is, and even for myself, to find the time, oh, I say, I hate the word find, to make the time to, to read and to read with purpose and all of that. So let's sort of build the case for why reading is so important, number one. And number two, what tips and strategies do you help, whether it's moms working with their kids or, um, or, or professionals in, of, any, of, any, of any form who are looking to um, you know, just grow? and uh, are finding finding it difficult to make that happen. I'm enjoying this, Naftali. These are great questions. So uh, I have a friend who is a, uh, a time management expert, and I always give him a hard time. I say, well, there really is no such thing as time management. There's only priority management. Uh, oh. uh, I was reading some research that about 100 years ago, they only had 24 hours in their day as well. <laughs> and so I'll work with parents, and they say, well, I have no time to read. I'm like, yeah, who has time to read after you watch the game on TV, have a couple of beers, go out shopping? I mean, uh, kids aren't stupid. If they don't see us reading, they're never going to be reading. And it's ironic because I hated reading growing up. The only thing I used to read was a TV guide. And it wasn't until I started uh, teaching my students in the, in the inner city and realizing they didn't have the resources I had growing up. I mean, Naftali, I was very blessed. Both of my parents were together. They were both in the home. We were, we were not well, we were a very lower middle class family, but we always had food on the table. Uh, my father was a librarian, uh, which always he it cracks him up that I, I became a reading guy because I hated I hated the library growing up. You know, public libraries all smelled funny to me. The furniture was uncomfortable. There's always some elderly woman telling me to be quiet. There's always some homeless guy who thinks he's a vampire hanging out at the library. I always hated the library. Uh, but when I saw that my kids didn't have access to resources, uh, I don't believe 
inequality. I think that's a, an overblown term in America. What I believe in is fairness because some kids don't need much and some kids need a lot of extra stuff. we got to give every person exactly what it is that they need. And so uh, the second part of your question in terms of what can we do, I created my the readinghabit.com, uh, which is kind of blown up during the pandemic. Now that millions of parents are involuntarily homeschooling their kids, um, I find that schools do an adequate job of teaching kids how to read. But the question I always challenge people with is what good is it teaching kids how to read if they never want to read? I teach kids why to read because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch TV. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid, go read a book. I want them to choose to do it on their own because they'd love it. You know, and I was looking through your book. I hope everybody checks out your book because it's great. There's all kinds. I felt like a Baptist saying amen throughout the whole book. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's the basic things. But you've already mentioned a book that's a classic to me. It cracks me up that some of the best books written were back in the 30s, 40s and 50s for self-development. Uh, there's three books that I would tell everybody you got to go. And they're all under 250 pages. So I have uh, one of the one of the top uh, uh, book clubs online, lazyreaders.com. The criteria is every month I give 10 books that are uh, uh, three or four adult level, three or four young adult level, and three or four children's level books all under 250 pages. So you have something you can read when you're stuck in a boring meeting or something. Uh, but three of the books that I think are just critical and filled with wisdom are the first one that you had mentioned, which is Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Win and Influence People, Norman Vincent Peale's The Power of Positive Thinking, and the one that another one you alluded to but just by the term, people don't realize that the mastermind term comes from Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which I still don't understand isn't a book that is just uh, it should be placed in every school. Think and grow rich. It's not just about wealth in terms of monetary wealth. It's about your brain wealth and becoming a better person. Uh, there's just so much wisdom in the, in those types of books. Uh, and I think you and I are drawn to those types of, I, I mean, I'll read anything. I'm constantly reading books, just looking for anecdotes because I'm a storyteller. And one thing I can tell you is there are plenty of readers that don't become effective leaders, but I have never read about an effective leader that was not an avid reader. You know, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, even when he was president, they say he was reading three books a day. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, actually, that's that's one of the funny things. A lot of people forget that uh, JFK was once asked when he was president what he was reading. And he said, oh, I'm reading this spy novel by this guy named Ian Fleming. And because of JFK, they made James Bond into a movie. He's really the per reason that James Bond took off was because of <laughs> President oh, Kennedy. <laughs> I, I love the reference to those books that you mentioned before, and Think and Grow Rich is, is one I'd like to you know come back to for a moment because you mm -hmm. talked about having that vision earlier with your accountant and the target number and setting goals and then kind of like visualizing achieving those goals. And so oftentimes what we need to do as leaders, as business owners, as anyone who wants to accomplish is to set the goal and then reverse engineer that outcome, right? So think about how am I going to get there, whether I want to make $100,000, for example, in a finite period of time, and I'm charging $10,000 per talk or whatever that figure is, I got to 
quickly figure out how many talks do I need to do? How many calls do I need to make to get those talks? Whatever that looks like for you, but you have a vision. You're sort of reminding yourself regularly of that vision. You're keeping it up in front of you. And simultaneously, you're letting both your conscious and subconscious work on it through different means. And, and oftentimes, you know, one of the critical pieces of my mastermind is that we actually set goals and we hold everybody accountable. We put it on a Google sheet so everybody can see it. I got a personal goal and a professional goal for everybody. The, pro the professional goals are usually related to some kind of business metric, right? But the, per but the personal goals are important too, mm -hmm. because we have to have a life outside of our work. And whether that's being with family, taking care of ourselves physically, emotionally, spiritually, et cetera, you know, when you set a goal and you get really purpose-driven around that goal, I find that we just accomplish that much more. So to your point about time management, if you are in fact really directed and you block out time and you know exactly what it is that you want. And maybe it's reading more books and maybe it's learning new skills because we have to constantly learn and grow in the 21st century. That I think, you know, helps us to really, to really get us there. And the great thing about what you're doing as a service with masterminds, because I think maybe some people in your audience might not be familiar with what a mastermind is, is the purpose of a, of a live mastermind where you're with other people is you're going to share your what and then total strangers will try and give you a how to accomplish that what. And why you want to, this is why good leaders are smart in surrounding themselves themselves with people that have very diverse ideas because it gets you thinking in different ways. I mean, a, a really good mastermind, um, you know, cause I know you've had educator masterminds and if I'm in an educator mastermind, I want to make sure I have teachers and custodians and uh, secretaries and, um, and parents give, and, and students give me these different points of view uh, in my business masterminds, you know, uh, it, when I started working with leaders, it was kind of interesting because um, my coach, and I believe everybody needs a coach. I have several different types of coaches, a marketing coach and a technology coach and a speaking coach. And one of the first masterminds I was in, um, <laughs> it was interesting because all of a sudden my table was all these billionaires and me, a former school teacher. And I looked at everybody. I'm like, well, why would you come to, to me? And they looked, they all said the same thing. They're like, well, Danny... You give 10 ideas and nine of them are crazy, but one of them is worth a billion dollars. And I, it, that's, I, I guess that's actually a better question, your, better answer to your first question. That gave me the confidence to really start working with, educate, with uh, business leaders was like, wait, no, I do have something to offer these people. I look at things from a, a very different point of view. Now a mastermind, here's what I love about this thing we call technology, Naftali, is you know, it doesn't matter where you are in the world now. You don't have to necessarily physically be around five or six people. You can be on a Zoom meeting and talk to them. Or even as Napoleon Hill talks about in the book, Thinking Grow Rich, you can be consulting people that aren't even alive anymore. You, he, I mean, he surrounded himself with books. And just because... Uh, just because I never knew Abraham Lincoln doesn't mean I can't read uh, Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin and get into the mindset of uh, how did this, I mean, Lincoln's an incredible leader. If you look at him, uh, has one of my favorite quotes of all time. He said, uh, I know the best way to defeat my enemies. I shall make them my friends. Mm. Who thinks like that? I need to be around people that are thinking in those types of terms. So I, I'm sorry, but you excite me when you talk about masterminds because it amazes me that people really still don't understand the concept. And again, basically the concept for your audience is you have to figure out what your what is and then other people help you with the how. 
Yeah, that's great. And I, I appreciate the the extra clarification there because the masterminds have really been um, a unique and very special opportunity. I've got, like I said, the business group, the, the school leadership group, and each one has their own focus, but fundamentally the concepts and the interactions are very similar. So I want to ask, I know you alluded to it before, Danny, but maybe as I ask it as a more direct question, you might take it in a different way or maybe surprise us with a whole new answer. But uh, you know, being a leader doesn't, as you know, uh, doesn't only involve a string of successes. You know, we clearly we have skills, we have abilities, that's what gets us to where we are. But we also many times have a lot of challenges, some that people know about, oftentimes people don't know about them. And we use that negative experience, let's call it that challenge, that failure to springboard us to a better place. So tell us please about a failure of yours, something that didn't go according to plan that ultimately allowed you to learn, minimally learn a lesson from it and possibly even to impact your work in a more uh, meaningful way moving forward. That's a great question, Aftali. So I, you know, one of my favorite leadership speakers is John Maxwell, who always says, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. I believe failure is critical. I was speaking to a, 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 a corporation board last week and I asked them, what's the opposite of success? And they all said failure. I'm like, no, it's not. To succeed, you need to fail a lot. The opposite of success is not trying or quitting. Uh, probably, I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, um, why I left education. I was having a parent conference with, uh, I had this beautiful young man, Jonathan, uh, just uh, one of the most gifted and talented students I had ever had the pleasure of teaching. And his mother, uh, a single mom, working three jobs, raising him and his older sister, you know, just because a parent ain't around teachers, I always tell them, doesn't mean the parent doesn't care. I mean, I've worked with intoxicated parents, I've worked with incarcerated parents, but I've never worked with a parent that doesn't love hearing me tell them nice things about their kid. And Natali, Jonathan's mother asked me a question I was not prepared to answer. She said, Miss Purcell, Jonathan looks, like, like, looks at you like a father. If you were his daddy, what would you recommend that I do? And the word that came out of my mouth was move because mm -hmm. her son was gifted and talented and my school district did not have a gifted and talented program. And I knew if Jonathan stayed at my school, he was getting Miss Hampton next year. And Miss Hampton was gonna destroy this young man because Miss Hampton is a direct descendant of Darth Vader. Mm. And that taught that. I think I had our first cousin in my as my seventh grade social studies teacher. Oh man, it was horrible. And I realized, Natalia, after I said that, I'm like, if that's what I believe, I need to resign, which I did that day. I wound up teaching the rest of the year to fulfill my contract, but that was it for me in the classroom. And I went into a deep depression for several months, uh, wound up taking the position at the university, started training uh, teachers and administrators. And finally one day, uh, it was my mom who gave me a pep talk because my mom's a peppy person. She said, don't you see Danny, don't you see? Now your job is to pump up other people so they don't quit. You're gonna affect so many more kids this way. And that's exactly why I do what I do for a living. And I think uh, it was that pep talk from my mom that really kind of inspires me when I'm speaking to audiences. I, I want to look at every single person and say, I don't care what you do. You are important. You have a chance. Uh, I, 
I always give the example of uh, Wendell. I used to love going to jury duty. Wendell's not there anymore, but nobody else likes jury duty. I love Wendell because uh, we always go to, uh, I live in the South Bay in, in uh, Los Angeles and near Redondo Beach. And in the Torrance Courthouse, Wendell runs the jury room. And there's always 200 people just angry that they're there at 8.30 in the morning. And Wendell is this uh, affable African-American guy. It looks like uh, Santa Claus. He's about 75 years old. He always gets on his microphone. He's like, well, good morning. Welcome to jury duty, folks. Now, I'm going to tell you a lot of stuff right now. And some of you don't have to listen because some of you things always seem to work out for you. You always get the good parking spot at the grocery store. You find money on the ground when you're walking. You know, uh, you always get the promotion. You don't have to listen to a word I say. But some of you Things never seem to go your way. You know, you get the speeding ticket, you know, you, you, you always uh, step and dog dung on the sidewalk and uh, pe people are always doing bad things to you. Now, if that sounds like you, you're going to be on a jury today. And all of a sudden, all these people in the room that were just sullen and not happy to be there, we're all laughing and we start chatting together. And I look at Wendell, I'm like, what a great lesson for all of us. Take whatever you're doing and make it memorable. Put your fingerprint on anything. It's, it's a great idea for any leader. It really is. And what a great way to end that segment. So thank you, Danny, for that. We're going to move now into the rapid fire. And I'm going to begin by asking you for a quote that you live by or think often about? That's actually easy. Uh, uh, one of my mentors was Charlie Tremendous Jones, and he said, you're the same today as you will be in five years, except for two things, the people you meet and the books you read. So I always tell people, make sure to surround yourself with positive people and feed your mind with really good books. I'm not sure you could answer this without elaborating, but the kind of books you like to read the most. Oh, well, I, I won't elaborate for the sake of time, but I love uh, any kind of uh, biographies and personal development books, things that show people uh, progress and how to how to get better. Me too. And because I'm so focused on productivity, tell us, Danny, a productivity tip that helps you to get more done. There's a great book I read called Essentialism by Greg McCune. You don't have to read it because I already read it. There was one line in that book that changed my life. He said in in Greek, the word priority can only be used in the singular. And so from that day on, I give myself one priority every day that I have to get done. I can get more done, but I have to get the priority done. You'll see you get more done if you give yourself one. And it doesn't have to be, I'm, the, I'm not talking just a priority in your business life. It can be in your personal life, whatever. Give yourself one priority. Love it. Okay, so you've given us a lot. And I know you have so much more to offer. Tell Lead to Succeed Nation, please, Danny, where they can hook up with you, where they could learn more about you, connect with you online, where can they find you? Well, that's, so it's ironic how I, I found you, Naftali. Um, I have a book called Read, Lead, and Succeed, and I wanted to give everybody a complimentary copy. So if you go to uh, freegiftfromdanny.com, freegiftfromdanny.com, I'll give everybody a copy of uh, Read, Lead, and Succeed. It's a book I wrote for a principal who was trying to figure out a way to keep his, uh, his team positively engaged. And so I said, okay, I'll write you a book. And so every week I give you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's picture book recommendation that demonstrates <laughs> the same concept. And then I'll also give you access to uh, a five-day reading challenge I recently did with about 700 parents worldwide, which uh, every day for an hour, I give all kinds of uh, ideas 
on how to get your kids excited about reading at home. So again, free gift from Danny.com. And that's really uh, in honor of all that you're doing. Uh, I I can't uh, speak highly enough of of, uh, what a fan I am of yours, Naftali. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And likewise, and I would say we're also going to link up any other, your website, your your social media, all that stuff in the show notes. So Danny, before you go, because you're a busy guy and you got a lot to do, I'm sure. Um, and thank you for getting up early this morning to be with me uh, on this conversation. I want to end with with a request, please. Uh, I feel a little bit, as they'd say in Yiddish, a little schnurrish, which means I'm like grabbing a little more perhaps than I should. But do leave us with one final life lesson to end off this episode on a high. Well, thank you. I, I, I apologize. I'm going to have to give you the same refrain, whether I was teaching my little ones or my older ones, as they leave my classroom, I always say the same thing to them. I say, remember, education is valuable, but execution is priceless. Knowledge is not power. Only applied knowledge is power. Knowing what the right thing to do and doing the right thing are two different things. So go out, do the right thing and make this world a better place. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm really, really delighted that we've gotten to know each other through this conversation. And I definitely look forward to uh, continuing to learn and uh, benefit from our relationship as it develops. Likewise. Thank you, Naftali. God bless. You as well. Bye-bye now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen. 